you wanted the best, you've got the best podcast. The hottest, hottest. podcast in the world. In the world. The Chris Voss Show, the preeminent podcast with guests so smart you may experience serious brain bleed. The CEOs, authors, thought leaders, visionaries, and motivators. Get ready, get ready. Strap yourself in. Keep your hands, arms, and legs inside the vehicle at all times because you're about to go on a monster education roller coaster with your brain. Now, here's your host, Chris Voss. Hi, folks. It's Voss here from the ChrisVossShow.com. The ChrisVossShow.com. Welcome to the big show, my family and friends. We certainly appreciate you guys coming by. Thank you for being here. What would we ever do without you folks? Uh, 14 years. We're going on 1,500 episodes. They're going to start changing all the things from 1,400 to 1,500. Uh, two to three new shows a day. So if you guys aren't checking out some of those brilliant minds, the people that will inspire you, the people that will motivate you, the people that will take you to that next level Will you walk around with this glow around you, this aura. I don't really believe in auras, but you'll kind of, you, people will get that from you. They'll get that sense of confidence. They'll get that sense of, uh, uh, I don't know, uh, I've run out of verbs to use so, or adverbs to use, so I'm just going to roll it up there. Uh, but you need to refer the show to your family, friends, and relatives. You know, I keep a list every day of all the people who refer the show to your family, friends, and relatives, and uh, it's just been explosive how much the show grows in the LinkedIn newsletter, but uh, this is the lead-in that we use to sell you the plugs and, of course, tell you that we love you. Uh, go to Goodreads dot com for chess chris Voss, youtube.com for chess chris Voss. he does that on purpose uh go to let's see what else is there there's tiktok there's the new threads and uh youtube and linkedin the big linkedin newsletter that thing grows like a week go just subscribe to that we're gonna be talking leadership today and uh building better communities and building better businesses and building yourself better why does that sound like a good idea? Because it is gosh darn it uh today we have an amazing woman on the show uh shana Francesca is on the show with us today. She'll be talking about her amazing work and everything that she does in the form of leadership and speaking, writing, and being an entrepreneur. Uh, her work center centers around intentional leadership and living. She believes we become infinitely more impactful as leaders when we understand the power of community and our role inside of it. Knowing that a corporation is a type of community, and we're going to have a lot of fun with this uh, discussion, uh, that community is an ecosystem where it is vital for every part and person is honored and empowered. Uh, she believes our present and future are transformed when we infuse our lives and therefore our work with intention, design our and, and design our lives and realize how important powerfully we truly are when we honor ourselves and others as part of community welcome to the show how are you i'm good chris how are you i am excellent today i'm just having a wonderful day and we're going to be talking about some great things that you're bringing to the show uh, give me your dot coms if you would so people can find you on the interwebs yeah so www.consonate.world so it's dot world not dot com remember that um that's the best place and the places i spend the most time the social media i spend the most time on these days are linkedin TikTok, and threads and i'm at shana francesca on all of those places there's a there's a cool stuff there uh what's uh what does consonate mean uh, i'm curious about that oh my gosh of course i just moved the i i kept a um a index card that had the definition on it sitting right by my desk and i the cleaners just came and i was like <laughs> crap i just moved it um but basically the definition is that it is um Harmony by design. It is a recognition oh. that um, there is a precisely accurate way of doing something for us, right? And it's important that we um, lean into that and that we um, that we understand that there is a way to be harmonious with that. There you go. Uh, consonate to join fitly or becoming together, uh, becomingly together. Make well connected and choose and compose suitably there you go or to arrange or blend together skillfully i love the harmony concept though because having harmony and and peace and and continuum in your life uh tends to make for good order as it were 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's that's the thing is I looked up a couple different definitions and I think the one that I really centered on was from dictionary.com, right? Because different dictionaries phrase it just a little bit differently and I loved the language of it. You know what? We're 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 see we're here on my laptop, so I'm just going to look it up real quick so I can read that specific definition because I love it so much. There you go. Um and we can hop into that quick. Yeah, it's I love the concept of it, and of course, this is why we do the show. Everybody learns something new, and so I've learned the the word consonate today. Yeah, I'm gonna have to incorporate that in my thing. Uh, yeah. I used to have one of those apps where you try and learn a new word every day. Yeah, so exactly. Those... Yeah, and and well, that's kind of there's a funny story be behind the name. It's not super funny, but it's yeah. an ironic story. So the dictionary.com definition is uh, to arrange or blend together skillfully as parts or elements. Mm -hmm. put together in a harmonious precisely appropriate or elegant manner hmm. mm -hmm. there you go yeah. yeah um and so you help do this through uh what you do with leadership leadership workshops and and consulting and i think you'd probably do some co coaching as well yeah a little bit the focus of my of my work right now is on public speaking and on facilitating workshops mm -hmm. um because I really want to, I love getting this information out to as many people as possible, as quickly as possible. Mm -hmm. um, and I also really love, I've been on a stage in one form or another since I was a kid. And so it just kind of came naturally to me. And I was like, why am I not doing this and charging for it? Oh, let's do that. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So uh, tell us a little bit about your upbringing, your hero's journey. What got you yeah. into leadership and all the uh, business and, and stuff that you're doing now? Yeah, so I grew up in an evangelical Christian cult um, and in a in a abusive household. Um, mm. Those things uh, tend to go hand in hand: abuse and cults. Um, I should mention that I'm giggling because my audience knows I grew up in a cult too, as well. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so we talked about you. this in the green room for just yeah. a second ahead of time. We're like, oh, similar journeys. So I grew up seeing very intentional leadership, but very intentionally harmful leadership, mm -hmm. right? Um, in, in ways that there was no uh, accountability, there was no recognition of harm, there was no steps taken to, um, to diminish that or repair that harm. It was all just, this is in the service of God, and, you know, we all need to basically martyr ourselves and there's suffering here on earth so that you can receive your reward in heaven, um, exploitation of labor, you know, so on and so forth, and, uh, you know, hiding of child uh, sexual violence, predatory wow. behavior, um, um, pedophiles, uh, you know, wow. so on and so forth, right? And um, and part of my own story is that, and this is like trigger warning for anyone, you might want to just give this a little mute for a minute if, if you grew up in an abusive household and still are triggered by the discussion of that. Um, my first instance with uh, with rape was at three and a half, um, and it was my, my babysitter's son. The thing about wow. unhealthy people is they do not attract healthy people, right? So when your parents are abusive, they tend to surround themselves with other abusive people. And so as a child, it becomes a very dangerous environment, both inside and outside of your home, right? Yeah. Especially because I went to Christian school at the cult. So I was oh. never not being exposed to abusive behavior, right? Wow. And to and to manipulative leadership. And and then my father groomed me from the time that I was about five or six until I was uh, 15. He forced me to take a chastity pledge, a purity pledge at the age of 12 in front of 2,500 people. Wow. And then he sexually assaulted me at 15. Jesus. And honestly, that sexual assault at 15 was one of the worst things that ever happened to me because I thought, okay, he's an abusive person, but he'd never do that. Mm -hmm. And when he did, it cracked something open inside of me that just said, there's something not right here and this cannot be living. This yeah. cannot be what God would want. If, yeah. if, if God is real, this cannot be. This cannot be. This cannot be. And I cannot mm -hmm. and I will not live this way. And so I started surrounding myself with exterior ideas in the ways that I was allowed to, right? Because mm -hmm. in the cult, like you're not really allowed to tap into information outside of what the cult approves, right? So I was only allowed to listen to Christian music. I was only allowed to read Christian books, so on and so forth. But I started reading like C.S. Lewis, his nonfiction. Uh -huh. Huh? And I started reading some other books um, that I could then like sneak in. And somehow I got to read, you know, like Elizabeth Elliot books and like... Mm -hmm. <laughs> 
<laughs> like books that like I don't I don't know. I they think they just didn't know what I was reading. Um, and so, you know, all of these, these things, I started, you know, kind of di diving into Jane Austen and, mm -hmm. and, and, and starting to recognize like, hey, there's a world outside of this one where people are questioning the nature of their reality, right? Mm -hmm. And they're, they're challenging authority. And so, um, and so I just started kind of questioning and 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 trying to access different information and i used my bedroom wall like a vision board i put quotes that i was finding oh. up on the wall and i and i would go through the jc penny catalog and circle all the things you know the, the big thick one you'd get like every yeah. every season and i'd circle all the things in there that i wanted to be part of this life that i got to decide for myself where i could wear what i wanted because there's mm -hmm. also an restriction of what you wear i didn't i wasn't allowed to have a lock on my bedroom door my bedroom door oh. was never allowed to be shut unless i was getting changed and mm -hmm. that had to be a very finite period of time, so on and so forth. There was measures of control throughout my life. And so what that led to as a teenager, me recognizing that like I needed to study, right? I needed to, wow. I needed, I needed access to a world outside of it. Um, and as I did that and as I learned more about the world, it it started my deconstruction journey that that really led me. It was like a 20-year journey, no lie. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like 20 years of 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 slowly starting to question and allow myself to walk away. But in that process, I started questioning what is leadership? Mm -hmm. What does it look like to create healthy community? What does it look like to actually honor people? Well, how do we how do we create that kind of support that we and the and the group dynamics and and the the sense of belonging that we crave as human beings? But how do we do it in a way that honors people? Right? Honors their story, their lived experience, their authenticity, and actually benefits from it because mm -hmm. we aren't requiring people to show up how we want them to or how we need them to, but how they want to. Right. There you go. Yeah. Uh, growing up in a toxic environment with toxic people and, uh, you know, people you can't trust, trust is a big issue for children and, and yeah. how they're raised. Can I ask, was it a stepfather or was it a birth father? Oh, birth father. Birth, really? birth. Wow. Oh, yeah. Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. People don't realize that like 75% of sexual assault and rape happens by either a family member or close family yeah. friend. Yeah. And it, yeah. it escalates uh, exponentially with uh, someone who isn't, uh, you know, a step parent. Um, yeah. And uh, so that's why I was kind of curious. Um, and it's unfortunate. Uh, but it, it led you on this path of trying to, you know, bring stabilization to your life, uh, you know, empower yourself, yeah. uh, you know, find yourself as a human being. And that's usually what toxic people are trying to do, take away is, is your humanity and, and your independence yeah. and, yeah. and thinking for yourself. And so you went on the journey to find this. So how did that journey go? What, what you've, you've uh, over 20 years, you said you've gone down this pathway yeah. and uh, now you have your own companies. Uh, tell us about where that's at right now. Yeah. So I started out in the world as an interior designer. Um, mm -hmm. That's what I went to school for. And through that work, because I recognized in my own life's journey that there was a significant correlation between my physical environment and my mental health, mm -hmm. right? And so every time something terrible would happen inside of my home, I would like move furniture, organize something, move something around. And it was like I needed to break the association with what was and reset the stage of possibility in the way that like when you walk in to see a play, the stage is supporting the actors. It's empowering what's going on. It's creating culture and an atmosphere, right? And so I really needed to change that picture that was showing up in my mind um, and, and that I was physically seeing every day to say, okay, this is a fresh start, right? Mm -hmm. And that led me to become an interior designer, but I did it from the place of this psychological recognition, right? And I also did it from the place of knowing that there's a lot of people in the world who don't feel safe in their home, that mm -hmm. don't feel like they can take up space in their own home authentically, and who don't recognize that our home is the practice place for how we show up in the rest of our lives or that it can be right and so i started having these conversations and so my clients are judges and lawyers and business owners and entrepreneurs and very successful people right um and we would ha launch into these deeper conversations and they're like you really need to be doing something with this right and one of my clients who's the head of neuroanesthesiology at upenn he said um you know i tell everybody that you're my life coach in my interior designer and i was like oh you do huh and what's what? what's interesting is i had already been doing coaching for like group coaching for two and a half years on these concepts uh -huh. but i hadn't given myself permission to really step into the role of 
speaking on these things and being an expert in these things, even though people were coming to me who were twice my age at the time <laughs> to like have these discussions with me. Uh-huh. Right. And so, you know, that's ultimately, I just stepped into it. I took ownership of it and the learning and the education that I had done in my own life and how I applied it in my own business mm-hmm. and helped other people applied it in their businesses. And then oh, it's just grown from there. Yeah. There you go. And you've got some upcoming, uh, looks like some upcoming workshops too, yeah. where you talk about intentional leadership. There's yeah. one starting in uh, July 19th, uh, mm-hmm. September 21 of 2023, I should mention, yeah. uh, and other ones. Uh, so what is intentional leadership? What is, uh, yeah. give us the definition of that and, and how you expand on that. Yeah. So there's a, I created it as a formula, the easy definition, right? And I think because the laws of mathematics make it really interesting and easy to define it that way. So I'll explain. So the formula is be curious plus be respectful in parentheses mm-hmm. times practice accountability equals intentional and ethical leadership, right? And the thing is that curiosity without respect is intrusive, right? And respect without curiosity is uneducated. And then when we put those two things together, right, in parentheses, because we're doing those first, we're in doing those two things together, being curious and being respectful, we're establishing trust, mm-hmm. we're establishing lines of communication. And then we're able to then practice accountability because accountability starts with us, right? Mm-hmm. But we are able to, it is be able to be amplified by the people around us, right? And without establishing that trust, we can't, they don't feel safe to come to us and bring their concerns, their thoughts, their desires, their, you know, whatever it is that they're seeing about the company that can be pushed forward, moved forward, adjusted, changed, so on and so forth. If there's not that that trust already established, then we're not really leading, we're kind of fear-mongering. <laughs> I, I own that concept in business. Uh, now, you so you talked about curiosity and being respectful. Yeah. Um, why is curiosity important? Yeah, great question. So curiosity is what opens us up to be able to learn. Mm-hmm. If we aren't curious, if we if we're putting ourselves in the position of expert, there there is nothing for others to teach us. There's nothing for us to learn. Right. And I use this great example there. So I was a semi-professional salsa dancer for four years, performed, competed for four years. I still dance, just don't, just don't perform and compete. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but my very first teacher, um, she owned the studio and she'd been doing this forever. She was in her late forties at the time. She always taught the level one classes. Everybody's starting out new. Her name's Barbara. And she and Barbara, you know, taught all these classes and she really wanted to get to know us as people. And of course, because I'm a naturally curious person, I was like, Hey, Barbara, you know, why, why do you teach these classes and tell me about yourself? Right. So she tells us about the fact that, um, she learns a new dance every year. Mm. And from somewhere in the world, it could be nationally, it could be locally, but she usually she's diving into dances from around the world. I said, interesting. Why do you do that? She's like, you know what it does for me as a leader, as, you know, as a, as a business owner is to constantly connect me to learning and understanding what it is to be a student, what it is to not know. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it makes me a better teacher because I'm a learning from other teachers and then B also keeping my myself in the place of student. The thing about that as a leader is it's extremely valuable because it keeps you connected to your people, Mm -hmm. right? And it keeps you connected to understanding the ways in which you can run your business better. There you go. And it's deeply important for our learning. And and you talk about leadership and business as a community as a concept. Um, how does having a, a curious organization, uh, sometimes I refer to it as a learning organization. There was a book years ago on uh, uh, how to build learning organizations that I incorporate in my life. How is that important in building a, a good, healthy community in your business? Yeah, so when we get curious, we can get to know our people. We can recognize that um, we can do something like what I what I call a curiosity walk, right? Oh. So go around and like in your in your personal life, it can look like just literally going on a walk and something you think you know everything about, just Googling it after your walk. 
right? Mm -hmm. And learning more about it. I did this with poison ivy a couple of weeks ago, and I learned so many things I didn't know about poison ivy. And it became this whole metaphor about leadership that's incorporated in my talk, right? (laughs) So curiosity enhances our work and enhances what we do. And I'm, I'm using it all the time. Um, But it, it drives an organization because then we can get to know as we get to know our people, we can understand who they want to be, how they want to show up in the world. And when we remain continually curious, as our people grow, learn and change, we continue to be invested in their in their growth in their learning in their changing and how they want to be able to show up and be a part of an organization and what they're bringing to that organization mm-hmm. and then we can better honor that right and and incorporate that and work as a as an ecosystem right Very and good. create this organization as what i like to call a bubble of of life because national geographic defines an ecosystem right and i see a, a community and an ecosystem as the same thing an ecosystem is a is a geographic area um, with a variety of organisms living together, supported by the land and the weather, right? And so when we honor our people, right, and we empower our people, we're functioning like like the the land, right? We're supporting our people and empowering them to show up as ourselves. And and as a leader, when we are we are being the weather, we're we're governing culture. We're making sure that we are um, holding our culture accountable. We're being accountable ourselves. We're, we're including a diverse group of people, so on and so forth. So we are able to really be community and be in a true ecosystem. There you go. Culture is a really important word. I love what you've said there. Honoring people, uh, taking care of the land. There's kind of a in in in, in the comments you use about taking care of the land. Uh, there's kind of a uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Where you're taking care of the resources that you have, basically. Yeah. And you're honoring them. I, I love the I love how you use honoring people, which yeah. is really important. You know, in today's business society you know i think a lot a lot of people get lost in like well we're all just working and then you get fired and then you get hired and there there seems to, it's it's a very cold icy place and you know in today's world people are looking for more especially gen yeah. z and yeah. millennials of course yeah you know gen x we were just kind of like whatever man we're just here for the right <laughs> and uh you know, and then and then the you know the boomers were just like I don't know I can't feel anything. Uh, let's yeah, just, and let's Silent go. Gen is I don't know what's going on with Silent Gen. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that's why that's why they're silent. Uh, the uh, I don't know what that means. Uh, but no, I like I like these concepts because culture is so important. Like you have to be so intentional when you're building a company as an entrepreneur or when you're a CEO of what kind of culture. Uh, you know, whether it's going to be healthy or toxic. Yeah. And and you, of course, have, have designed some of the the underpinnings of that. So if I'm a CEO who says, I I don't want a toxic culture anymore, yeah. or I've taken over a company that has this issue, you know, what is the new tone? What is the new culture that I want to set forth? Yeah. And, and that resonates and comes from leadership, whether you're a parent, whether you're a coach at, a, at the school, or you know, coaching mm-hmm. uh, sports or wherever you are. I mean, everyone's yeah. there. Everyone's a leader, really, when it comes yeah. down to it. Whether it's yeah, everyone's a leader. Yeah, exactly. I was just going to mm-hmm. say, whether it's their own life or an organization or a team or a family or whatever it is, like you're you're leading something. Someone's looking to you for inspiration. Mm-hmm. Someone's looking to you for modeling, so, like mm-hmm. meaning, like you're representing something they want to accomplish in their life. They're using you as the model for how to get there. Right? Yeah. There's in some way, shape, or form you're leading. People use me as a model for a car crash and they just watch it slowly happen. And then they're just like, look at that. Don't do what he does. <laughs> Avoid at all costs. Avoid. But they love the funniness. They like, they like watching cause it's entertainment, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, in the six sort of way, but no, these are important. Uh, the ecosystem bubble of life. I like that comparison because yeah. it's a, it's a, it's analogy of how the universe works in a healthy way. I think it's yeah. kind of healthy. It depends on if you get eaten in the bubble of life and the tide pools, I suppose, by the right. or whatever. But no, the, the bubble of life and, and, and an ecosystem is how things survive, how things thrive, yeah. how things live, if you're not getting eaten by the crap right. or whatever. Um, but, uh, uh, and, and it builds a better culture. Um, you know, tell us more about this honoring people and, yeah. and why is it important to honor people? Why, why do we need to be nice to them, I suppose? And respectful is another yeah. word that yeah it's it's about kindness it's about honesty it's about being able to be candid with one another um and and respect right because an ecosystem is a lot of things happening at the same time it's and not or 
right? Oh. It's not like it's a, an ecosystem is not, you have to be this or that. An ecosystem is a lot of things happening and like together as and does, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you're not having to choose one or the other. Uh, and And it's a matter of them balancing each other and benefiting one another. When you're honoring somebody, you're, their life may be different than yours. And and I kind of hope that they are. Their life is, right? Yeah, that would be weird <laughs> right? if you had a company of all the right. same people. And- well, many companies hire that way. They hire people who they call, they, they hire people to be a good culture fit. But oftentimes that's code for your lived experience is almost the same as mine. And we come from really similar backgrounds. And so you, you are not going to buck the system. You're going to fit right in, right? And, and we're, we're, we're leaning on respectability politics and we're leaning on homogeneity instead of leaning on the understanding that diversity drives profitability. And, and I and I know that moving towards diversity is a scary thing. So we got to dive in and have those conversations and create these underpinnings of respect and curiosity and accountability so that we can usher in people, in a diverse group of people, and then be safe in that environment. There you go. And safety and security is important to people. You know, they want to yeah. go to work for a company that's doing things that they feel uh, you know, is going to go places. I mean, you see a lot of people making choices in this, especially with this new environment that we're in where, you know, there's an abundance of, of demand for jobs and uh, employees can, can, you know, quit and do whatever they want and go to other things. But I, I like what you're talking about there and you've given me an epiphany. Um, and that's why we do the show because we get yeah. epiphanies. So, yeah. um, but you're talking the thing you were talking about, and I see this a lot on LinkedIn and with recruiters and stuff, and friends of mine that work in that business, and then people that are trying to get hired by jobs, and they talk about LinkedIn. But you, you bring up a good point. I, I hear that a lot from recruiters. Well, we're trying to get people who fit into our culture, and in reality, uh, you've got to have a diverse group of people. Now, not just not just diversity as opposed to, you know, uh, race and, and and different people as, as D, uh, there's a lot of D, what do they call them? DEI yeah. programs. programs. Um, we've had a lot of diversity people on the show, authors and stuff that are officers, diversity officers uh, yeah. and people. But uh, not only that, but difference of mind and, yeah. and, and journey. You know, yeah. one of the problems I always have when I worked in companies is I had a real entrepreneurial sort of experience, uh, mindset and experience experience yeah. and so i could look at things and go why do we do it this way mm-hmm. and everybody else would be like oh no, we always do it this way and and so i would stick out like a sore thumb in my last yeah. company i worked for before i worked for myself uh, successfully um was uh i was an entrepreneur there and back then no one really talked about this stuff and yeah. being an entrepreneur and stuff it wasn't a big thing in fact i didn't even really call myself an entrepreneur i'm just like i don't know i just run a company right um but <laughs> but you know, I stuck out like a sore thumb. And so they're like, we're going to make you an entrepreneur because you're weird and yeah. you see things from outside the box. Unfortunately, my CEO was the same as I was. He, and he, he saw a budding entrepreneur and he knew that uh, I could see stuff outside of the box. And I looked at yeah. things from a different angle as opposed to just like that, you know, that walled in sort of, uh, I don't know, tell me what to do and I do it. And I think more people do that now. You know, that was when yeah. I was a kid, uh, yeah. which was like, you know, 10 years ago or so. Um, <laughs> a liar. Uh, but, uh, um, you know, now it seems to be, you know, people are looking for that. They're searching for meaning and stuff. But I love the fitting concept because, you know, I, years ago I said to, to my last boss there, I said, why, why is that guy that's on the board who's, always the negative nancy he's always negative whatever sort of idea you put up he's going to shoot down he's always got the alternative antithesis and and i said you know you should get rid of that guy he's really annoying in board meetings and my ceo said no you need that guy Mm -hmm. now he may be wrong a lot of the time because he's just taking opposing things when that guy is right on the money And you have a circle of yes men telling you, yeah, yeah, sure, it's a great idea, boss. And that guy's going, no, it's a stupid idea. You're going to lose millions. That guy's going to save you millions. Correct. Correct. So yeah. That concept of what you talked about, I don't know if you want yeah. to expand on that a little bit, but yeah, I do. don't get people that fit in as much. Be people that are going to challenge your ideas and concepts. Well, okay. So we'll go back to my poison ivy analogy, right? Mm-hmm. So we didn't dive into it too much, but we're going to now. <laughs> Did you learn that by uh, accident, by uh, chance or... 
Yeah. So this is my own curiosity, just leading me to all kinds of metaphors, because I love a great metaphor. Mm -hmm. So um, so this is why I say it's really valuable for leaders. But I take my own curiosity walks. And one day, a couple of weeks ago, I was noticing there was a ton of poison ivy growing up mm. along the forest edge. And I was like, huh. I was like, you know, I don't really know anything about poison ivy, except that it causes a rash. Yeah. So let me Google it and see what is poison ivy's position in, in an ecos in the ecosystem, right? Mm -hmm. And so poison ivy grows at forest edge most often. It uh, is it usually grows between a field and a, and a forest. And it works yeah. in a couple of ways. It filters runoff water. It also helps to keep um, undesired seeds from um, ending up landing on the forest floor. That would end up that would end up being detrimental for the forest. Not only that, but it is an important food source for deer. Oh. It uh, uh, it is a home for small animals and amphibians like frogs, mm. and it also grows berries and is an impo important food source for birds when they're migrating in the fall. Oh wow! Now I didn't even know it grows berries. <laughs> know any of that now at the end of the day does po poison ivy still cause a rash and am i going to reach out and touch it now no <laughs> but i do have a deeper and more nuanced understanding and appreciation for what poison ivy does within that ecosystem it is necessary it is important and it still causes a rash mm -hmm. right and so it's important for leaders to understand that they're by not including the people who quote unquote cause you a rash right you are missing out on significant benefits that would save you time and money and pixar is one of the most successful companies in the world and has never had a public bomb like bomb at, a, at the box office because mm -hmm. they have a culture built around just that including people who have different opinions and honoring those opinions recognizing that they don't have to do something with them but it is important to listen to them to take them into account to recognize they might be valuable and to decide if they're applicable or not and either apply them or sit them to the side but they're still going to honor and respect the opinion and the person who gave them and it's vital for their company to thrive right and so more and more leaders need to be doing that recognizing and honoring that poison ivy belongs in your ecosystem there you go i'm hiring poison ivy today hey yeah. HR department you know <laughs> but the the don't hire people that fit in is really important you know because having having some rebels having some people that you know don't march to the lockstep of the culture of the company don't have the same experience i mean it, it kind of harkens back to you know I, I don't know if you remember reading the stories about ibm and remember how ibm had this culture in the 50s and 40s the ibm man and everybody wore black suits Everyone wore a black hat. Everyone yeah. wore a black tie, I think it was, or something, you know, whatever. The f Everything was company company wardrobe sort of thing. Yeah. And uh, and then somehow we hit the 60s and uh, everyone did acid and everyone colors or something. I don't know. I don't know what <laughs> happened. But, but there's a story about that and how that was really uh, detrimental to IBM's. Uh, uh, you know, ability to innovate and, and, and culture and different things. And then I think yeah. Hewlett Packard and some people in Silicon Valley came along and, and uh, definitely changed that. And, and of course it, it was kind of interesting because it contributed more to the human spirit yes. in a company and the yeah. culture fit in, yes. you know, things that you're talking about there. Yeah. And so, um, it made for a better ecosystem or bubble of life, as you like to yes. say. Yeah. And uh, and when people thrive, I mean, that's a beautiful thing. I, I, I kind of learned by being an entrepreneur with capitalism stuff. When people thrive, the ecosystem thrives. Everyone thrives. Everyone benefits. You know, and, and I grew up with com watching communism in the USSR and, and uh, you know, hiding under a desk as a kid and seeing the difference between their community and, of course, the eventual fall of their ecosystem because people couldn't thrive, because there wasn't that human ability to shine and and be humans and and uh you you know you look at these different aspects yeah. and you go well this is why a lot of companies are sucking and failing yeah and i think i think no matter what the key is accountability right it doesn't matter what your political system is it doesn't mm -hmm. matter if it's communism socialism uh, uh you know uh, capitalism like we have here the thing that is missing in most governments and i think is missing here in the u.s 
is the direct democracy, is the mm -hmm. one person, one vote, is the accountability, right? Mm -hmm. And and that's the part that I think is bled down into and 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 fostered into corporate environments is this lack of accountability, right? Because back in the day, back before Reagan, corporations, you know, corporate CEOs could not earn 400 times the lowest paid worker or the yeah. average worker. They could only make like, I think it was 10 or 20 times, yeah. right? There was a cap on that earning. They were required to pay their people livable, equitable wages, right? Mm -hmm. And there's not that accountability in our system anymore. And the, you know, 60% of people in the United States make less than $40,000 a year. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so uh, this is why it comes back to we need to have accountability as leaders. We need to be honoring people's humanity. We need to be honoring their contribution and we need to be careful of respectability politics. Right. Mm. And saying that just because someone d hasn't gone to college, they're less valuable and they deserve less humanity simply mm. because they didn't go to college. Right. They're still contributing and they're still a human being. And as far as I know, human beings are the only beings on this planet that have to pay to live here. And if we are denying access to the to the money required for people to live good, healthy lives, we are being inhumane, full stop. There you go. Uh, you know, self-accountability is one of the things we've really been missing. Since the 50s, it has fallen off, and we moved from a culture of logic and reason to one of emotionality and a lack of self-accountability. Uh, and we've become a real victimhood culture. Like uh, you see a lot of victimhood competition in our culture now. Like everyone's competing for, for I'm the bigger victim than you. And it, and with social media, it's almost become kind of come like a brand, where it's like it's like I'm a bigger victim than you are. I'm the biggest victim this week, you know. And uh, I uh, I fell into poison ivy, so my life is worse than yours, even though you might have gotten hit by a truck or something, you know. It, yeah. it, and you see that on social media. I see that on lead. Like a lot of different interviews of people now start out like I I was a victim and you're like you had a hangnail dude like yeah I I think there's a lack I think what you're getting at is there is a lack of recognition of privilege mm. right and there's a lot of people who don't understand that accountability feels like oppression when mm. you've sat in a place of privilege oh maybe that's why people get it confused they do. Know. Yeah. And, and that's why I say you have to practice accountability and you have to start somewhere, probably therapy. Um, but, but, you know, the way that you can recognize whether or not you've sat in a place of privilege is to sit back and really recognize, are you held to the same level of accountability as every other group around you? Are you blamed for something simply because of the color of your skin or your gender? Are you, are you truly given a pass? Right? Or do you experience less harm simply because you exist as a particular kind of person? Well, then you are experiencing privilege. And that doesn't mean, and in that aspect of your life, you're experiencing privilege. It doesn't mean that you haven't struggled. It doesn't mean that you haven't fought and worked really hard to get where you are. It just means you've had to undergo less harm to get there. And a lot of other people have had to undergo a hell of a lot of harm and fought their way through it. And so it's really important that we recognize what accountability is and we really recognize that it's not oppression. There you go. We need everyone to be accountable at all levels. Correct. You know, you, you mentioned something about uh, not being, I think, discriminatory. Discriminatory. discriminatory towards discriminatory. Yeah. Discriminatory. What's going on Wednesday uh, towards uh, people, whether they've gone to college or not. You know, a couple of days ago, we had uh, the authors of the book Lead Like Marine on, and they talked about how they kind of had a weird a policy. It wasn't weird, but it was different than the opposing thing. And they got some crap from investment bankers over it. But, but they were more interested in finding people that had great work ethic, yes. that would work hard. That, that were learners that had that, that wanted to broaden their horizons, but maybe they didn't have a college education. Maybe they didn't have experience in that field. Yeah. And one of the concepts they talked about was, you know, you can teach someone how to do a certain job most times, you know, like if you're, you know, if you want to teach somebody to be an underwriter for a mortgage company or, you know, a, a lot of things you can teach, but you can't yeah. teach someone to show up on time. You can't teach someone to have a work ethic where they they have a passion or they care about their work. You know, yeah. if they're if they're a lazy person who just doesn't you just, somewhere they got built that into their life or or growing up as a child, you know, they just don't care. I mean, yeah. you can't you can't fix that no matter how much you teach them or have the right yeah. culture. I, so, I love the fit in concept. Yeah. 
And I, you know, the thing that I've learned about people is that I've never met a single person who doesn't want to be heard, understood, and valued. Mm. I haven't met a single person who doesn't want to contribute. Mm -hmm. I have met people who've been taught through life that nobody cares about their comp, their comp, uh, their talk about words. Nobody cares about their contribution where mm. they have been um, thought looked down upon. They have been, they have very little has been expected or wanted, not even expected, but wanted from them when they have tried to contribute, it's been slapped down or demeaned. And so they give up. Right. And so I don't know that there is necessarily lazy people as much as there's people who have learned that the system is built against them. So why should they bother to try? Right. Mm -hmm. And so when we build an equitable world, when we build a place where people are honored, they want to contribute. They want to be part of it. It might take a minute for them to trust into that environment, to trust that they're really truly valued and understood. And they might need to go to therapy <laughs> to work through it, right? And we might need to provide good healthcare so they can. Sure. Um, but it's but it's a matter of people want to be valued. People want to contribute. They want to be liked and, un and be a part of something. And we have to create the environments where they feel safe to do so. There you go. And that probably goes back to my journey I was talking about where I had a hard time when I worked for people. And then when I, they, you know, my CEO identified, they go, this guy's going to go places or uh, yeah. at least, you know, around the block or something. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm still working on going places. Um, the, uh, you know, he, and, and, and gave me the opportunity to walk around the company and go, why do we do it this way and rebuild systems and everything else? It was like the last thing I needed to become a CEO uh, and uh, being able to understand that. Um, you know, you talk about, let's uh, squeeze a few things else in here. You talk about mastering intention and designing yeah. our lives. What is yeah. mastering intention for those who might not be familiar with that concept? Yeah. And I call it mastering intention, but it's kind of more like, to, it's like continuous mastery, but mm -hmm. you know, you can only fit so many words into a title before people are like, what in the world are you talking about? So we just make it simple and call it mastering intention, but it's not a, an arrival point, right? It's a continuous practice mm -hmm. and just like anything we want to be good at. And so, you know, to master intention in our lives is to be able to, and, and talking about what designing our life is, is life design is not about doing more. It's about being more intentional with what we're already doing. It's about taking a step back and recognizing, hey, you know, I do this thing all the time, but have I thought about in what ways it might be contributing or not contributing to, you know, my overall intention um, for a moment, for my life, so on and so forth? Like, am I considering um, the impact that this thing is having. And I say to take it back to like a micro level, right? Talk about walking into our home and being able to like, if there's a piece of furniture that's in the way that we're always rounding the corner and we're catching our hip on or we're, we're getting, move the furniture, right? Because it's a physical barrier and you're taking up that space and you need to be able to take that up that space. And it's not supporting you in that moment. Your home is meant to support you. Your office is meant to support you. These spaces are meant to support you, not you it. So if it's in your way, move it. Right. And I think oftentimes we don't think that simply about how intentional it can be, but it really does affect the way that we see ourselves. Because if we don't feel like we can truly take up space that we need to, or that it's there to support us the way that we need to, then it's, then we're not, we're not living our full truth inside of our own home, right? Especially in our home, right? <laughs> like yeah. that's the place we practice and we get to feel what it's like to take up space in the rest of our lives. There you go. And that's the that's the ground, the fertile ground for teaching that. And of course, that's where security and and uh, kind of our bases, if you will. Yeah, we spend yeah. two thirds of our life inside of our home. So how yeah. we show up inside of our home, how we allow ourselves to show up inside of our home, has a lot to do with how we show up in the rest of our life. That's a great that's a great analogy. Um, you know, you talk about leading uh, growth and inspiring creativity through curiosity, transforming your life. Um, it's interesting, you know, growing up, I. I uh, I once again also grew up through a cult and and uh, closed off Christianity and and the world was closed off for me because it was evil and bad and right same. it was you know and and uh, you know I was lucky enough like you had talked about early on where I I started seeing cracks outside and and peeking through and going you know what, what's going on here finding people like George Carlin who talked about religion and uh and yeah. and, and other people in my life that I was like wait there's a whole world out here there's a whole yeah. humanity it's not evil and it's not bad yeah. and yeah 
and uh you know satan is just running wholesale around you know yeah for, I, me, you know. yeah for me it was uh james baldwin the fire next time oh wow he put it into such beautiful language his discussion about religion and i thought it was so kind and so compassionate and so clear um and so i really uh anyone who hasn't read james baldwin you should um but specifically that book is 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 a deeply impactful book that, that he is such a wonderful writer isn't he incredible writer yes i, I recommend it for everybody we had uh eddie god jr on the show for his book mm -hmm. begin again about james baldwin and then uh the fire upon us uh was uh nicholas piccolo was on the show he mm -hmm. he did a whole thing about the uh big debate between william f buckley and james baldwin i'm sure you've seen that Mm, yeah, yeah, that those had to be interesting interviews. Yeah, it really was, and 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 yeah, I'd highly recommend them. If you if if anyone in the audience has not seen the James Baldwin William F Buckley debate over race in America, and just the extraordinary way that James Baldwin delivers it, it is uh, is is incredibly moving. It's it's spectacular, yeah. and not only the debate. I mean, James Baldwin delivers it in such a passionate passionate human way, and and a highly intellectual uh you know everybody knows uh james uh or william buckley was uh was was kind of an intellectual in a sort of way i found him annoying but <laughs> he was kind of intellectual and he just dumped they tend it. to be intellect yeah. like people who call themselves or identify as an intellectual tend to be a little annoying yeah <laughs> at I, minimum that's that's what people tell me oh not really <laughs> um they just go you're an idiot uh but uh when you watch it uh, just William F. Buckley is just for a guy who's a professional debater is just stumpified. Is that a word? Yeah. Um, he's just stumped and dumbfounded. And he's got yeah. like, he's got, he just like makes up some idiot argument of, of altrusiveness or whatever. And, uh, you know, he's just stuck. So if you haven't got a chance to check that out, uh, anything more you want to tease out, uh, uh Shana on what you're doing and yeah. uh, how you're doing it, any future projects, your workshops, what do we want to yeah. tease out before we go? So I do my workshops, um, each one once a month, I do those digitally. Um, but I also do them inside of organizations. So if you check out the descriptions or you reach out to me, I'm absolutely happy to do those inside of your organization, organization specifically for you. They, each one comes with like a 35 page workbook, um, whether you do it digitally or I come into your organization because I want people to be able to actually institute these things into their lives. Um, but you know, I'm right now looking and booking for um, speaking engagements throughout 2024 um, and connecting with different organizations about doing my workshop uh, there for them um, and or group coaching because I can kind of go hand in hand with the workshops. Um, and then, you know, the goal is to next year start writing a book. So all of that is 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 in the works and, and working through that because I really, like I said, it's important to share what we're talking about here um, and for people to see leadership as, as supporting and creating a bubble of life. There you go. I'd love to see you do a book on leadership and some of the oh, concepts yeah. we talked about because I, I love the concepts and you're talking about stuff that not a lot of people talk about, you know? I know. I know. I know. That's why I'm doing it. <laughs> there you go. Uh, you know, people still confuse leadership and management. Correct. Yeah, and, not the and same I, thing. Yeah, I've had, I, I'll talk to people about leadership and then they'll be, and they'll be like, you know, you boss everyone around, you get your title and then you can boss everyone around. I'm like, that's not leadership. No, that's not leadership at all. <laughs> not leadership. That's managing. And that's, that's just... death of an organization, honestly. Exactly. Yeah. You know, I, I was thinking about this last night when I was at the gym. I was thinking, you know, maybe we should just ban the word manager from company. Yeah, right. <laughs> like seriously, we should just ban the word. Yeah. Well, and 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 when you look at organizations like not to go off on a tangent, but when you look at organizations like the King Arthur Baking Company or Gore and Associates, you see these employee-owned companies, especially Gore and Associates, you can actually find all of their information. I mean, both are, are brilliant and inter interesting companies at, at their level of innovation and their level of excellence. Mm -hmm. Um but at, at Gore and Associates, everyone has the same title. It's associate. Oh. Right. And they hold each other accountable the way that they, they, they decide on salaries, the way everything, I mean, and they have really? a whole PDF. Yeah. They have a whole PDF, um, on their company website. Uh, I actually had a friend who worked there up until like a year ago. He worked there for years and years as a scientist. Um, uh, but incredible. Yeah leaders who are looking to understand what is possible as far as excellence and profitability when you look at different ways to lead, they should definitely start looking at organizations that do so in a different way. Um, and I have like a recommended lead reading list as part of my workshop just, just to help people dive into that learning. 
There you go. I, um, I like that concept. So they do they have a thing where uh, my friends at Buffer uh, did this years ago, and they made some news over it. They they exposed. They shared everyone. And it was yeah. expo- I was exposed at the time. I suppose, but they shared everyone's income. Yeah, like up to the CEO yep. and, and the everyone's partners. income is public information yeah. to everyone really? inside of the company. Oh yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, they should know who to ask loans for. I um, believe that if you're trying to stifle people discussing their income, it's because you're not paying people equitably and you're not paying uh, them enough to live off of. So, because if you did, you wouldn't care that they're talking about it with one another. That's true. We've kind of seen uh, governments now who've had to local governments who've had to say, "You will tell people what they what yeah. they up for earn," because yep. it really became this this uh, BS game that. People wouldn't tell you what job you would earn as your job you're offering. You could earn like, what was possible exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And you would go yeah. through all these hoops of interviewing and they're like, Hey, three eighty five an hour. There you go, right. buddy. Right. And you're like, exactly. What? Yeah. I have better things yeah. to do with my time. And I think it's uh, completely unethical. But yeah. I like the association right. thing. So when they give out raises, does everyone have to vote in that yeah. concept? They discuss it. Yeah. And wow. so there's there's a there's a woman that I follow on TikTok. Um Madeline, I think is her name. I forget hmm. I'll it doesn't matter, but um, you could probably look her up. Um, but she's writing a book, actually. She, her, her company, they have a uh, every year they decide on this, and as the company ebbs and flows, obviously this might change. But um, you know, throughout the year, but it, regularly, every every quarter, they get a one percent uh, uh, raise um, to keep up with the cost of living. Everybody wow. gets equitably, everybody makes the same, including her as the founder and the owner of the company, so on and so forth. So just, you know, there are ways to do things, right? And and so you can look at employee-owned companies, you can look at companies where everybody makes the same and, and is equitable. You can look at all different kinds of structures and start to understand that when you invest in people and you're paying your people before you're paying your your shareholders, um, there's, there's, there's a lot of... Um, there's a lot of growth that happens and a lot of innovation that happens that causes across the board, you know, much more profitability. Yeah. It, it, uh, it's an interesting way to grow corporations. And like, and like we talked about earlier, as everyone is, is, uh, you know, uh, quiet quitting and there's that, yeah. that, there's that going on. There's the great reset. There's the great, you know, people are yeah. changing and flipping jobs and, and, and they seem to be more focused on, uh, self-fulfilling sort of things. Like, am I happy here? Yeah. Does this matter to me? Am I doing something yeah. that makes a We're difference human. in the world? We should be yeah. enjoying this life. This is the only life we know we have, right? Yep. And it shouldn't be miserable, right? This is why I say corporations can be a bubble of life because too often I hear people say, you know, I'm trying to create a work, a better work-life balance. Well, that statement inherently implies we aren't living while we're working. Because yeah. it doesn't feel that way for far too many people. And it takes mm-hmm. up way too much of our time for us to be pretending like people should feel like they're dying while they're working. That's another great analogy, the work-life balance sort of thing. I, I'm I full think, of them. I'm full of them, Chris. I think people are, this would be great in your book. I, I, you know, people are starting to really throw, throw that against the wall and go, I don't, I don't know about this work-life balance stuff. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's like you say, it implies that, you know, well, I'm, I'm dead inside at work and then I go home and, and hopefully I'm a human being. Although I know some friends that then when they go home, they're dead inside too. Right. Um, right. They're just trying to recuperate really. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and that they probably need to say psychiatrist. I know a few yeah. people like that. Um, so give us your.com so people can find you on the internet. Yeah. please. Yeah, absolutely. So my website is www.consonate.world. Um, the dot world part is important, not.com. Um, and you can find all my contact information there. You can also find, uh, upcoming workshops as well. There you go. Well, Shane, it's been wonderful having you on the show. The, the great shows always go along so, uh, yeah. because we get into great discussions. Yeah. Uh, thank you very much for coming on the show. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. There you go. Uh, thanks, Simonis, for tuning in. Go to goodreads.com, Fortress Chris Foss, YouTube.com, Fortress Chris Foss, LinkedIn.com, Fortress Chris Foss, and uh, Threads and all other silly stuff we're doing on the internet trying to be cool. Uh, and we're not, as everyone knows. Thanks for tuning in. Be good to each other. Stay safe. And we'll see you guys next time. And that's.